0: I'm Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. Our Conversations podcast features in-depth interviews with innovative leaders from business, entertainment, and nonprofits. Listen and learn how to succeed in what I'm calling the next normal. Now is the time to rethink, reinvent, and renew yourself and your business. Hello, everyone. I'm thrilled to be back on Conversations to welcome a brilliant mind who is on a mission to raise a healthier generation. A former investment banker, in 2017, she co-founded Yumi, a direct-to-consumer organic food service and childhood nutrition company focused on intelligently designed, science-backed meals, snacks, and vitamins for every stage of development. Today, Yumi is the fastest-growing kids' food company in history, with millions of meals delivered across the continental United States. Her groundbreaking work at Yumi is fueling a new Food is Pharma movement, it is my pleasure to welcome Angela Sutherland. Hey, Kelly. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. So thank you for joining us again today on Conversations. And you have a, a really unique career journey. So I want to start at the beginning, prior to founding UMI, because you worked as an investment banker, which was in my background as well. So so talk about what prompted you to make that career pivot and to create UMI. Yeah,
1: definitely. So again, my background was traditional path. You know, I was a math major in school, so I always thought I'd go into finance. So I was, you know, very typical finance, investment banking. And then I went into a management program at Toyota where, you know, I used to write algorithms. And it really sort of struck me when I was in that field as a woman, then pregnant, like sort of all of these categories and all of these things that were affecting sort of like my generation and people like me. And When I started doing all the research around nutrition and this period of life, I started realizing that this movement towards food as pharma and what you eat, like, and health outcomes, really is no more more profound than early childhood. So, in that period, nutrients actually dictate future health outcomes. You know, in you know very one to one type of way. It's why formula is regulated like a drug. It's why doctors prescribe prenatal vitamins, but the food category remained largely unchanged, right? And I think what was really like, you know, eye-opening to me was how large this category actually was. So like I started researching again from an investment banking lens and I'm looking at this, it's like, this is market opportunity and this is a giant TAM. I mean, this is huge, why is it being neglected? And so it
0: really just like presented itself as like a really great opportunity along with like huge impact possible. Yeah, and so I want to dig into that more, but before we did that, was there something in your investment banking or maybe prior to that that you really think sparked your entrepreneurial spirit to take this on yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been really interesting. Like I've always invented, always created a bunch of ideas. I always had, you know, a bunch of company ideas. I also in private equity, I was on the operation side, not the deal booking side. So I was like interim CRO or CFO of multiple different companies. And I think having that experience, like boots on the ground experience, sort of, it gives you, you know, confidence that you can do this and you can actually like handle it. But also I think it's, you know, when you see a spark or you see an opportunity, I
0: think, being able to say, I can tackle that is, is, is really most of it anyway. Yeah. It's that confidence, right. And it's that, but I think you're right. Background as an operator. Um, Cause that's what you, that's what you have to do. So take us back when you first launched the business, what was your marketing strategy to get the word out about Yumi?
1: Yeah. So what's really unique about the baby space is the potential for virality. So like how, how parents refer their parents. And so unlike, other spaces where, you know, you're like shoes, you're going to do that on your own. This is a category where the first thing you do is ask your friends, like you're asking for their lists, their, their references, just everything you're, you're researching, but like it gave it, it presented itself in a huge opportunity to become, you know, like highly viral. Like, you know, what's, how do we get into that? Like these communities and get a strong word of mouth going. And I think, you know, so our intention around that was, let's look at data. Let's sort of see how we can sort of really understand like what populations we're hitting. How do we, you know, like activate those groups of people? How do we activate mommy and me groups? How do we activate like friend groups? And it really, you know, again, worked like our success because now we feed 3% of babies in America, but in some areas it's up to like, you know, 10%, one in 10 parents in the region. And when that happens, it allows us also to then. Sustain that because again, the first group of people you're asking when you have a kid is someone who just had a kid. So you, it, it, it's a self perpetuating type of cohort.
0: So, any pivots you've had to make in that marketing strategy since you started?
1: It, more, more than just pivots, it's actually like sort of doubling down on things. And so, you know, what we've realized that works are different from each group. So, each, like, you know, the parent of Westside LA is very different than a parent in New York. And so, how you penetrate that group or how you infiltrate it and like, you know, convince them like, you know, nutrition is the right thing. And this is different for every single group. And so we've had to adjust and change our strategies based on behaviors. And so I think, but our strategy around
0: getting towards penetration virality has always been the strategy It's just sort of like, how do we do that has changed. Right, so same umbrella mm-hmm. strategy, but sort of below it. Yeah. Um. So I think it'd be good for you to talk about what separates Yumi from other organic baby food brands that people maybe may know of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think where it started is a really good sort of just beginning point, which is why we wanted something better in the first place. Like, you know, we really, like, I took all the SKUs out there and I realized that they were mostly snacks. So they're like, you know, basically snacks for in between meals possibly because they were really nutrient poor you know they were mostly sucrose fructose you know like not really nutrient dense and i started realizing what people were doing was maybe like they were cooking at home which is the most premium thing you can do you know spending an hour of your day or having someone else spend an hour of their day or nanny or mom like that yet is more expensive than any jar you're going to buy and so if you're doing these things it's because you feel like you need to make something more nutrient dense so we started with that we're going to make a very nutrient-dense meal. So we're going to make a fresh, organic, nutrient-dense meal that you can use as actually a meal replacement because that is what was missing. That is what baby Food promised to be when it first came to be, which is like, you know, get out of the kitchen. You can have this. And so instead of just like, you know, creating a snack market, we wanted to create a nutrient-dense market. So that was step one. And then beyond that, what we believe is like food is functional. It's going to, it should actually help you along in your path, right? And so, you know, we do tailor-made stages. So whether it's like milestone programs, you're like, if you're at five months or six months or seven months, you're going to get something tailor-made to that stage of life. And again, that's going to be very different than what you can find in retail because they can only have a certain number of SKUs, right? And so we are able to actually fit into like what category your kid needs at this period of time with way more like, you know, variety than you're going to be able to get at retail. Um, And then beyond that, We keep adapting and so what's also great about the service is that we take your input so if you say my kid doesn't like these things or they're allergic we're going to continue to adapt that so it really becomes very personalized
0: to your child yeah that's so interesting what what so what are some of the biggest opportunities you see in terms of the parts of the market when you think about approaching it from feedback but then also the science base that you're also incorporating into the brand yeah, I mean, the categories. Of course, I, I think that, I mean, the beauty of this category is sort of blue sky because
1: once you have consumer trust in a category like this, like you, they want to use you for their, like, you know, they want to grow with you and they want to use you for their snacks. And like, now, you know, now they know like what you stand for. And so, like, you have an opportunity to really build out an amazing sort of umbrella of brands underneath this. Right. And so that includes formula, like, what is like, you know, a better formula, you know, new, you know, standards that we can like elevate in this space. It also includes like what we launched was like vitamins, which was whole food, plant-based vitamin, not made in sugar. So most kids vitamins are the number one ingredient sugar and then it's all synthetics. And so we did one that was, you know, no added sugar. It had, you know, only fruits and vegetables as its base. And so it's hundred like, percent bioavailable. Again, These type of categories and category like adoption sort of shows like our ability to expand beyond, but the entire category needs to change. You know, like we believe like, you know, kids, like food, snacks, all of it can be better. Like we can raise the standard across all of it. So again, it's sort
0: of blue sky in terms of what we can create. I think you're, and I'm a huge believer in the food is pharma movement. I mean, what you put into your body really does Mm -hmm really does drive your health and, and lots of different factors. So, I mean, that's driving your business too, but you know, when you think about the food industry, what are some of those disruptive factors that are, that you think are helping you to advance that and that food is pharma perspective?
1: Yeah. I mean, what's really great is actually, it's like becoming like widely adopted. It's sort of this category expansion, you know, first it was organic and that was the minimum. Like, what am I putting in my body? I don't want maybe non-organic things. Now it's like, what, like, sort of input output, like what am I putting in my body? What happens to my body? Right. And so there is already like, this like underlying movement around food, like, and this feeling of like, again, like health outcomes in like, when you think about with yourself, with food. And so it's only natural, you're going to start applying that to your kid. You're going to start thinking like, Hey, they're fragile, new beings. I want them to eat well. I want them to be healthier. And what we're seeing is actually, it goes both ways. So we find a lot of parents that don't actually eat healthy themselves start feeding their kids better and then they start eating healthier because of it. And so it's not just the parents that are already eating healthy that are saying their kids should eat healthy. It's then seeing health outcomes for their kids and seeing them eat healthy changes their diet and their outcomes. And so I think that that's sort of a path that's already accelerating and, and moving. But if you look across like the space, I think, you know, it went like there's, so much in food development and so much is changing. I think food and ag is one of those sort of areas that are going to completely change over. And so there's going to be so much growth and so much change in the space. Like, so literally from the types of farming and how we farm all the way up to like, you know, the types of products we make and produce. And I think, you know, what we think that we're at the forefront of is if you get in with, children and yeah, like age, you actually can prove and effectuate outcomes and build that center of trust around it, that and
0: it, it starts a generation of healthier eaters. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Last, last December, you announced a $67 million series B at a time when it's still incredible to me, less than 2% of venture funding in the U S goes to women, all women founded teams. Um, so it's really impressive. Congratulations. But the other thing that's even more impressive um, is it was powered by a female-led special purpose vehicle, which includes about seventy new women investors and women-led firms, including myself. I'm big, obviously, very excited to be part of it. So, how are you opening the door for other women-founded business?
1: Yes. So this is actually really, like, I'm really passionate about this like concept and this idea, which is that wealth growth is often separated from a lot of people's like you know view of access. just their job or their potential job but really a lot of wealth growth is asset growth so like and when you like in the last you know five to ten years if you own any asset of any kind whether that was you know stocks like houses cars your wealth went up way more than if you just kept cash right and so what I think is really important is for there to be equal access to asset growth amongst you know women and men, but, you know, sort of like diversity I, that, that it will only continue to like expand a wealth gap if you don't actually start closing, like the ability to get wealth through these types of means, like through assets and in other, other ways and other types of investments. And so I think one, one way, so like your question about how do we accelerate women founders? And like, I actually believe once you start leveling playing fields across even investments, that will start leveling playing fields across like who they invest in. I mean, so it's sort of like it's a circle that needs to all grow. And so getting more people, more women on the cap table, again, allows their wealth to grow, allows investments to grow. And so they're like, they make
0: representative investments, right? And so, really, I think this is an a ecosystem that needs to be like built. I, I completely agree. I mean, I think, first of all, making people aware, you know, help it, you know, so there's, there's a, obviously a lot of women who want to invest in other women. There's men who want to invest in women too. Mm-hmm. Buying female, you know, thinking about who you're buying from is another great way to support it. Um, I was with an interesting group last night that started the Female Founder Collective. I don't know if you know them. But that is mm-hmm. interesting, right? To help people um, learn and understand how do you approach building a business? What else do you need to know if you're thinking about public and raising money, et cetera? So um, are there tips that you want to share for other female founders who are pitching their companies to investors for the first? time? Yeah, I, mean, I think one of the
1: most interesting things I've learned is the difference between like men and women pitch. So they've like, you know, I've heard this over the years and because I guess I had an investment banking background or like i pitched in a certain way. So you were good at pitching. pitching? Yeah, there was more,
0: Anybody more investment.
1: More male oriented, right? So more numbers, potential, big vision oriented. And oftentimes women are so used to almost having like to be defensive, like defending what they like or defending their ideas so much that it becomes less vision oriented about how big you want it to be or how big the, the potential of that is. And I think what this space and what entrepreneurs need to start thinking is like think bigger as much as possible because then people can believe in the bigger picture and they believe like the like why the investment today is worth something later, right? And I think that is such a big part of the pitch and a part of like launching a company, but it is a lot of times sort of gender bias because that's not how like traditionally women have, you know, presented their case, you know, they're used to like, like defending a thesis or something,
0: not necessarily always pitching in that way. Yeah. Talking about growth. And I, and I think, and I know it's important to you and your co-founder Evelyn, you know, to, to help women expand their networks. It's something I spend a lot of time, uh, trying to help with, right? Finding someone that I meet and connecting them with other, you know, you're kind of doing it one by one or a handful by a handful. Are there other ways that you think we could increase the representation of women and, you know, entrepreneurs or in the C-suite that you and Evelyn have seen work or you're working on?
1: I've thought about this a lot in terms of like, how do we expand networks? Again, how do you expand the whole ecosystem? And I think what you do is actually phenomenal because it's, very rare to have women in such like powerful positions and they can make such a big difference. And I think sometimes it's recognizing the difference you can make. And so I once spoke to this one woman who like was in charge of huge equity realms. They told me it's very rare for a woman to be in like a place that can change the world of somebody, right? And so now she's using that platform to effectuate change amongst diverse groups, right? Because it really is like world changing if you have that like sort of late stage equity. And so sometimes it's about recognizing the position that you are in that can help others. And I think we are often reluctant to do that. So I try to do that in my own world. Like, it's like, if I have a particular position of knowledge or authority or, you know, connection, I will try to help others with that because it's, Like, you know, what's easy to me is, is actually very difficult for others. And so again, sometimes it starts with just
0: recognizing that. And sometimes it might just one person, but that's, that's exactly right. On my way in today, one of the things I was talking about is a friend's daughter who's trying to get into finance and she's doing her MBA and she wanted advice on what she was looking at. She's interested in um, ESG investing. And I always take those calls, even though you're really busy, like you really have to take those calls because something little you say, I think to your point earlier, sometimes the years later, people come back to me and say, you gave me this great advice. I don't even remember, but it was like one little nugget, just like I have things that people have said to me that they don't understand is so impactful, but was truly impactful for me. So what specific advice would you have for young women who would like to become an entrepreneur? I think it's believing in yourself. Like it's, you know, you have
1: like one life and you have this idea. And I think it's very easy to be talked out of ideas, you know, like, and be bold and go for those ideas. And I think, again, my advice is, is that be bold, be confident, like believe in yourself. And even if you convince one other person that that shows you that you can convince someone else, like you can start convincing people and then all of a sudden you convince anybody. So I think that is sort of just starting to believe in yourself and the strength of your idea is so fundamental because you have to believe it always. Like it'll be on your shoulders, like the whole company, the whole thing. And so, the more you can believe in it, and the more you can believe in yourself, the stronger company will be. So start there. And I think, I think that is such a small. It sounds so simple, but really, there's so much doubt and there's so much you know questioning around it. Like, should I quit my job? And should I do these things? And so, really, if you can just like believe in yourself and have real confidence in your idea um i've seen companies work that had terrible ideas <laughs> it's like and so really, <laughs> like you know, it does so like i think people always just wait for perfection and it's really just about like can you believe in yourself and can you really just like start start doing something
0: that confidence is so important. So, so you and your co-founder, Evelyn are both successful Asian American founders, and it's AAPI Month. So, I thought it would be fun to uh, to talk a little bit about that, but but and and really think about what are some of the unique challenges of of being an AAPI business leader.
1: I'd say that for both Evelyn and I, we are both ki- like children of immigrants, and so it's not just like being AAPI, but it's actually like a first generation of an immigrant, and
0: I think that that.
1: Presents both opportunities and challenges, and so the like the opportunity.
0: Did your parents want you to be a doctor or a lawyer? Sure. Like, or- I mean,
1: it's like I feel like you know, both, like Evelyn's you know sister is a doctor, her dad is a doctor. Like it was you know yes. sort of in her her path to do that. I think even for me, it was just you always had to do what was great for the resume, and you had to do the next best thing. And so quitting your job was not, you know, looked at like as a great thing to do, you know, necessarily. And so, it's. but I think the the good part of being a, a kid of an immigrant is that you have a very great work ethic. Like you really want to, like, you want to like make everyone proud and you want to work really hard and you want to like, you know, continue to like increase, like, you know, your potential and like that your families, you know, like, like, and I think that is an immigrant motor. Right. And I think that that, drives us. But at the same time, you have these expectations and you have like what the world's expectations are of you. And like, and so I think that there is, you know, you're you're battling with both of those things. And I also think, you know, in general, being an API or a woman founder, being of any diverse group automatically is harder in a lot of ways. You know, like you have to defend it more or be, it's just working through those things in venture capital is hard. I mean, like there's such a small amount of venture capital money that's going towards API or going towards women founded companies already. So you were know, you like, like, you know, fighting against a system that already exists. And so I think for all of those reasons, like, you know, we're both very proud to be API and like, we think it impacted us like tremendously in this. You should be incredibly proud
0: of what you've achieved. Is there a specific achievement you're most proud of?
1: I mean, I think a big part of it is like, you know, the amount of money that we have raised, you know, it's just such a, a rare feat for both women and women of color. So I think just, it just shows again, how the world I think is changing and how they're sort of like waking up to like real business opportunities, you know, regardless of who they come from.
0: But You guys are working hard as well. You know, City National and and me personally believe a lot in giving back to the community, um, volunteer, charitable contributions, time, I think is really great. So I think it'd be great for you to, to describe Yumi's approach to philanthropy and advocacy.
1: Of course, so we actually are like, again, deeply invested in this. We think a better future for your children must mean a better world. It also means, you know, like, like awareness and like as much contribution as you can, like health should be democratized. And so we work very hard to try to get information out there, but also trying to like work towards products that can be in the hands of more people. So this is like always on a roadmap, always things that we're trying to do in particularly most recently. There's been our efforts with Ukraine. So we worked with, you know, Airbnb and multiple other companies, you know, like Hello Bello, As Lives, Third Love, multiple companies to ship products over Ukraine. And I think that was, yeah. And so like for us, we sent, you know, kids vitamins so they could last. And like, it's important now for brands to, you know, practice what you preach, like give back, mean what you say, like say what you mean, you know, be an activist in any way that you can, because there would be a better world for your kids to live in. You have to actively participate in that world. So again, we're really proud to be a part of like that group of people that has pushed that forward. I mean, on a separate note on activism, like there has been a lot of reports about baby food specifically. So there has been congressional oversight committee reports on baby food. There's no standards in baby food. And so we are working with the environmental working group to try to get a bill passed that so like the baby food safety act actually putting a line in the sand saying you should monitor baby food there you know, there's heavy metals in baby food lead mercury arsenic and so there needs to be a standard and i think so we are the first baby food company to sign that act and say you know because we test you know on every product like we think that there should start
0: being a standardization of that practice that's so important because people just don't know right Right. And it's if it's not if it's not out there, you you can't react to it and you're putting it into your child. It's, I think it's like it's it's really like insidious. It's, it's a silent yeah. thing. You, know, you don't
1: pick up a jar or pick up a pouch thinking that something's going to be in it. Right. No. And so, like, and there's no way for you to know it. And so it really can't
0: be on a consumer to know. It has to be on companies that create standards. Has to be. So Yumi's not only disrupting the kids' food space, but the nutrition category as a whole, as we talked a little bit about. So when we look ahead, what are you thinking about in terms of expanding your um, really innovative product offerings over the next couple of years? Anything exciting you want to talk about?
1: I think, you know, what we're hoping to get into is like a sort of umbrella of things, right? So like, you know, moving into products that are both snacks, like for older kids, vitamins, of course, like, you know, like younger, I think. Expanding that whole product offering to show that we are ahead of the science with working with you know the best in class nutritionists, pediatricians, everyone. And I think at the same time we are also actively working on like you know with doctors to like do the research around these products, and so that way like everything that we do offer will be understood and backed and like and I think that again is sort of allows us to continue this
0: food as pharma for the family, for children, for older older ages yeah have the doctors have like pediatricians been a good source for you how how have you infiltrated if you kind of convince them or not not yet you
1: know it really just depends right and I think you'll probably notice in your own your own medical like you know (laughs) world is that not all doctors even like are like focused on nutrition right Like so you know they're yeah yeah they're generalists a lot of times I mean obviously like they care more about like being sick, so like that's what they're there for, and so like they don't really look at nutrition in, as a whole, and I think that means that some some doctors are you know really do look at, it. and those are the doctors obviously that like we work with and can sort of push that forward, but ultimately like I think the, all of medicine is moving towards this idea though that you know obviously like what you eat will do something. It's just
0: like not a more as excited about it or as
1: cognizant of it as others, and so.
0: Yeah, interesting. So the other exciting thing that Yumi's doing is your only brand to partner with some pretty incredible chefs like Nancy Silverton and John and Vinny and Beverly Ken. Any exciting innovations or product releases you want to give us a little teaser on? You know, I mean, we always
1: like to look at like new chefs that we're like, you know, on a pipeline. It's sort of this like idea of a mini me version. Like if you're a foodie, you want your kid to be a foodie. And so we recently just worked with like Jose Andres for the World like Central Kitchen. But there's always, you know, in our back pocket
0: new things to come like new chefs to work with that's so exciting i'm so excited for everything you're doing angela thank you so much for being on conversations it's fun to give everybody a little update on all the all the important work you're doing which also tastes good so yes thank you so much it's great to see
1: you and and, like thanks for having me
0: on thanks for listening we hope you'll subscribe to conversations so you'll never miss an episode we have lots of great guests this season who will inform and inspire you